0: the exciting things mm-hmm. about Judaism, because there's multiple right answers to things, mm-hmm. um, but when we differentiate between law, you know, you refer to the Shulpanara, versus Midrash, versus um, versus custom, and differentiating between custom and law, and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a multifaceted question. The question is, how do we deal with disparate opinions uh, with regards to law, but with regards to philosophy as well. That are all well. sacred. That
0: are all, that are all part yes. of our sacred
1: tradition. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think that the way to break it down is first of all you have to understand um, that the Villargon, uh famously said that there is no that there is never a conflict amongst a custom and a law. So if there's a custom that's been adopted by the Jewish people, it won't, it, violate. It won't violate any law. Uh, additionally, there's no conflict between Aggadic sources. Uh, what, is the diff- what does it mean, Aggadic? So the term Aggada or Agadata, it's an Aramaic word for like Hagada. Hagada means like, uh, like uh, teachings of philosophical and ethical realm. Uh, and then you have Schmaitzah or Halacha, which is more law, practical. Uh, now, in Agadata. In ethical and philosophical uh, parts of the Torah, then even though you may see see things which are which are which which are which seem to be uh, disagreeing, they're actually not disagreeing. There's no real disagreements in a gadata because it's like you said, different facets. Can you Give us one
0: example of a gadata.
1: I mean, just I don't know to help maybe somebody. I was I learned this this past yesterday. I was talking about this. Three themes come. That's fine. Three themes come suddenly. Three things come suddenly, Talmud says. What are the three things come suddenly? Uh, Mashiach, Mitzia, which means finding a lost object, and akrav, and a scorpion. Scorpion bites suddenly. But that's obviously not law. It's not like saying, you know, here's how you wear tefillin, this is how you strap tefillin on your arms, So this is what a mezuzah looks like, right? It's more like an idea, right? What does that mean? What does a scorpion mean? What's going on there? Uh, Another one, one of my favorite ones that uh, Dan heard my class on. Three things are a measure of the world to come Right? Uh, Shabbos, Shemesh, which means sun, and Tashmish. So, what's Tashmish? So, the Talmud says, does Tashmish mean intercourse? Well, no, it can't mean intercourse because that weaken someone. Rather, it means removing one's bowels. What does that mean? Is that law? <laughs> no, that's an idea. It's an idea. And if you have an idea that seems to be in conflict, it's not, a conf- it's, not, it's not actually in conflict. These are ideas, and the difference between these ideas and law is that the uh, the intention of the authors was uh, uh, polarizingly different when they wrote law versus philosophical agarita. Uh, as you'll notice by the two temples that I gave, it seems like it was an idea, but it was shrouded. It's like, what does this mean? Three themes come suddenly Mashiach, a finally lost the object. And a scorpion bites suddenly, doesn't give any forewarning. That's obviously a lesson, but it's clearly uh, being disguised as some sort of statement that you have to try to figure out what it means. It's like it's not clear on the surface what the intention is. Uh, or like the other example that I gave, and there's uh, thousands of examples of, of Talmudic and Midrashic statements that say ideas, but oftentimes they'll be parables uh, it's it's it, 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 there's a lot of analogy and, and 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 the intention is actually specifically concealed as opposed to law it's very much the intention is to be revealed to tell us how we're supposed to do you find a lost object as an example right there's pages and pages and page, pages of talmud that say everything every particular situation that may happen what you find where you found it what the situation was like how do you deduce what you're supposed to do when you find a lost object you know if you find Twenty dollar bill in Manhattan, you keep it. Why? Because number one doesn't have any identifying marks, so the person lost it won't know that this is theirs. Number two, the person gives up on it because they knows that he drops it on the thoroughfare, right? Number three, if you leave it there, someone else will take it. So, 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 so these factors are all discussed at great detail with the intention of making as clear as possible, in the most detailed fashion as possible, what the law is. That's with regards to Shmaitza, so with Halacha, with law, as opposed to with Agadat. Or uh, uh, philosophical, ethical law. It, it, the intention was to conceal it. Why was the intention to conceal it? Because we don't want the secrets of Torah to be out there. Like we don't just throw them out on, you know, on, on Facebook status updates. It's an idea. It's an idea that Torah wants to internalize. It's an idea that, that's that that's a deep, profound idea that you won't. We don't just give it out for free. It's not like we're handing out. Uh, it was not like a lemonade stand that we're giving out uh, precious wisdom. It's something you have to. If you want to learn it, you have to try to figure out. Well, what does this mean? three things come so what's what is it, a scorpion these are really intelligent people what are they just trying to tell us that uh, you know be careful like scorpions don't give you a warning before maybe is that is that really what it's all about put that together with what is what does that even mean find the lost object like that's you know that this is something which is perplexing by design now when we find disagreements we won't find any disagreements uh, in the uh in the uh, in the agadic because if the disagreement, by definition, is it's two different lessons, so the disagreement is only on the surface level; it's only on what you see. But actually, on the le- on the deeper level, what they're actually trying to convey, but they're hiding it, is two separate, two distinct lessons. Now, uh, so you,
0: right, so you can learn two different things. Two different that are not in conflict with each other. That's
1: right. Now, with regards to law, we do have some conflict, and we'll have disagreements as to uh, as to what the practice uh, ought to be. Uh, for example, I think I went over this with, with uh, no. I was a different group, but for, as just by way of example, we know that uh, if I, you know, I have a son who was born on a on a Saturday morning, so the eight days later is also Saturday because you can count count the first day, count the last day, right? So uh, the Torah says you do the brismila eight days later, right? Eight days later, promise eight days later in Shabbos, and one of the prohibitions in Shabbos is against. Uh, causing a wound that, uh, that draws blood. So how do you do a bris mila on Shabbos? You have a conflict. So the Torah says, you'll be on Mashmini." the Torah uh, specifically says in a verse that you're allowed to do the bris mila, the circumcision on Shabbos. That being said, there's a disagreement as to how far does this extend. According to Rabbi Akiva means just doing the actual circumcision. According to a means even chopping down trees to make wood, to burn the wood, to make coals, to make a, a blade to use for the bris mila. So it's a disagreement in law. Um, so that's a, that's, a, that's one example, but there's hundreds of examples. So your question was, how did that happen, or what do we do about that? Mm, what do we do about it? And I think what you've answered is that we study it deeper. To yeah, but it's but it's more about more than study. It's like okay, now what do we do? Yeah. So uh, there's a very very highly detailed systemized method of, of how we actually um, derive Halafah. For example, you know Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, houses of Shammai, houses of Hillel, where you know the, we, the law is like the house of. Usually Hillel. Okay. Usually Hillel. There's 18 exceptions, you know, and the Talmud tells you that these are exceptions, and Maimonides tells you these are exceptions, and Maimonides has um, instructions of how we derive law. Rav and Shmuel, right, the famous, uh, famous. Uh, uh, famous combatants uh, or uh, sparring mates in the Talmud. We know that the laws are like Rav in these areas, monetary laws and laws of Shmuel and ritualistic laws. And uh Tarfan and Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi, Rabbi Lezer, We never go like Rabbi Lezer, because Rabbi Lezer was put into into excommunication. We always go like the we always go like. Uh, we always go like, um, like the plural, like, like, like the majority always rules, right? If the opinion, of the Mishnah is, is uh, Mishnah. If we just have a Mishnah without any authorship, uh, depends. I mean, is there, does, does the, the opinion, uh, differing opinion come beforehand? The, the opinion, differing opinion come afterwards. A good uh, book, uh, source book for this would be, if you take the first book of the Talmud, which is the Sechit Brachot, the Laws of Brachot. It's the beginning of the agricultural laws, but also the laws of blessings, so making various foods. And all the Rishonim, almost all of them, all of the commentators of the 10th to 15th century have introductions to the book of Brachot. And there, um, because it's the introduction to the Talmud, they'll, they'll, they'll each give their treatise on how halacha is derived from the Talmud. It's, often, it's, it's almost never derived actually from the Talmud itself. Uh, that's why we have books like Maimonides. Maimonides made a, made a book uh, uh, to try to uh, take all the uh, opinions of the Talmud and synthesize it into what the actual law is. Uh, for example, you may not even know that there's a dis- disagreement in the Talmud because the Talmud doesn't do necessarily all the work for you. It expects you to be a scholar to know that if there's a statement by one rabbi over here that there may be a different book somewhere else where, which would, you know, where, there, where there will be a disagreement. So it's not organized by, uh, the Talmud is not organized by topic and the Talmud is, uh, it meanders a lot. The Talmud uh, goes in various disparate directions, so you might not know. It's also very hard <coughs> to keep track of what we're talking about, and uh, is this the only place that we're talking about? It? There may be other places that we talk about it as well. So that's why we have the um, the works of of the Rishonim to organize and collect all the rules about how we uh, how we learn the law, uh, and and they organize that. Uh, that that that's their uh, one of the major contributions that they do to uh, to, to Torah literature. That being said, I think this is always important to mention that, you know, you say, oh, Rabbi, you just spoke so long. It's such a mess. There's so many arguments. It's very important to remember this one point, that the arguments are never about the core aspect of a certain law. Everyone agrees you do a bris- we, that we do circumcision. Everyone agrees what circumcision is. Everyone agrees to do it on the eighth day. Everyone agrees to do it in Shabbos. Everyone agrees that there's no problem doing Shabbos. The question is, when the Torah gave us a exemption of the laws of Shabbos with regard to circumcision, how far did that extend? Is it only for the things that we're allowed to do on Shabbos, or is it even for things uh, only things that we couldn't have done otherwise before Shabbos, like uh, like uh, like making a uh, blade, or does it mean that you're allowed to do anything? It, with regards to uh, circumcision, Shabbos is like Shabbos is like a Tuesday. It's just a very, very fine agreement on a very fine aspect and of you it. People go to Kroger's and, and, pick yeah. and pick up the Pick up the bagels, yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. Um, so, 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 that, so, that, so that's the example. It's always on, on the core laws, on, on, on the reasoning behind the law, everyone agrees and there's never any debate. The debate are the most uh, fine aspects of the law. Like, for example, when you have a bread that has a certain measure of sugar or sweetness added to it, when does it go from a hamotzi to mazonos? But that's a fair, like it's it's just about like according to the Sephardim they never have uh, enchala if you know Sephardic customs they never have enchala because because the Sephardic opinion is that even if it's a little bit not uh, just pure flour and water they're worried that they won't be able to make hamochi. so if you ever go to a Sephardic family for Shabbat they'll notice that they'll have probably a water challah as opposed to the Ashtonazim or, or the Ashtonazic uh, 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 Rishonim commentators, they'll say, well, if it has a little bit of sweetness or other uh, uh, other non-water uh, and flour uh, ingredients, it's still fine unless it's very sweet. Remember, everyone agrees you have to make blessings. Everyone agrees what the blessings are. Everyone agrees that if you add a certain uh, ingredients that are not flour and water, you're gonna ch- you potentially could change the blessing. The question is, how much, you know? Is it yeah. almost anything? Once again, very, very minute aspects of laws. Yes? I have a
0: This might be totally um, off the wall, but I've never been to any of your classes before. Curious, you were talking about the prayers, Yes. how come then you don't sit shiver on Shabbat? But you can do a bris on Shabbat?
1: Well, there's a lot of things you can't do on Shabbat. You well, know. I know that, but I mean, if you can cut. Yeah, but that's because there's a special verse in the Torah. The okay. Torah has an extra verse. Uba Yomashmini. Right, the Torah says that this is in Leviticus. It says a woman has a baby; she has a baby boy, and she uh, she should be tamei for seven days. On the eighth day, they do the bris me, they do okay, the circumcision. For seven days, though. Well, well, yeah, but let, 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 me, let me hear me out here. Now, uh, it says an extra word. You know, the Torah doesn't say any extra words. But when it says an extra word, cause it's 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 reminding you of a special exemption to the to a certain law. It says, on the eighth day, when it could have said on the eighth. Why? I don't know how we know that would be a reference to the eighth day because it just said seven days. Seven days, and then it could have said on the eighth. It says on the eighth day, an extra word to tell you that even on Shabbos. So therefore, it's a special exemption. Uh, And therefore, we don't know why. The Torah tells why. It doesn't say, oh, this is the reason why. It just says that this is the way it is. Uh, So therefore, therefore, the law changes. As opposed to uh, mourning... Uh, we're told you are not supposed to mourn on Shabbos, and we don't have exceptions for that. So that's okay. why. That's why we don't we don't mourn on Shabbos. Okay, that's and it, that's a good question. And in fact, we have a story in the Talmud about Rabbi Meir, Who Rabbi Mayer whose sons died on Shabbos, and he refused to mourn the whole Shabbos. His wife didn't tell him. His wife didn't tell him. His wife didn't tell him that his that, that, his, that, his, that his children died because she didn't want him to mourn on Shabbos. So yes, it's I mean, it's already ancient. It's not just a new thing that the shiva stops on Shabbos. Um, and then it
0: stops altogether.
1: And well, it would it start. Well, it depends. Like
0: if a person dies and was buried on a
1: Monday, you start the shiva. You would start the shiva on right afterwards, and you would go till the following Monday. Uh, but, but 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 you but would skip, still you skip include, Shabbos. Yeah, so Shabbos is counted as one of the days, even though it's not not, not actually. Uh, you don't actually. But
0: you still would have a minion or a minion come to your home or. Well, you, you shouldn't. Walk, you shouldn't. You shouldn't.
1: Uh, you shouldn't demonstrate any acts of mourning on Shabbos. So that's a challenge. It's not an easy thing, but uh, but. But, but that's because we don't have an exception. Um, uh, there are there's this um, anytime we have a conflict with with laws. So if we have the exception, then we could oh, we could have one override the other. Otherwise we can't. Um, so another, another example of that is if someone has well, the laws of
0: Shiva are not in the Torah.
1: Well yes, but the, the customs yes. the customs of Shiva, yes that's also true. Um, but but this is a, this is a very nice example of where you have a convergence of a positive and a negative commandment. You can't really fulfill both. Uh, and but the Torah says because, uh, the Torah mediates, so to speak, between this uh, quandary and tells you that you are allowed to um, that you're allowed to. In fact, you're supposed to uh, do the bris mila on Shabbos, even though uh, it means uh, desecrating the Shabbos laws. It's
0: interesting that in the Talmud sometimes the those who disagree are both listed. So, so, for, yes. so for instance the um, the uh, whether you, when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat mm-hmm. and there were some Talmudic scholars who said,
1: who,
0: who said we don't blow the shofar on Shabbat because in the times of the temple they blew the shofar on Shabbat Rosh Hashanah and we don't have the temple anymore and so we don't do it mm-hmm. and another one said we should remember the times of the temple and Blow the shofar on Shabbat, mm-hmm. and it, and it brings into a, you know an interesting question because most um, most synagogues that follow halakha and have two days of Rosh Hashanah, so the second day they can blow on Sunday, yeah. But for a synagogue that only has one day of Rosh Hashanah, then. The participants miss the opportunity for the mitzvah mm-hmm. here. You know, but
1: one. it's like uh, when um, this past year and this year, Yom Kippur is on Shabbos. Yom Kippur's on Shabbos. So Shabbos we, right? don't say, uh, we don't say, we don't say Malcano. Malkinu. Um, so yes, even though it's only one day. Uh, but they're, lo- you know, that's the you know, way till next year, I guess. But do we do Yisgar? Um, I don't remember. Do we do Yuzgur? Yeah, I, so. I think so. I think so. It be morning well yesterday? it's more of remembrance I don't know if it's a, it's a morning it could be even some, you know for a deceased parent or a sibling from uh, 50 years ago I don't know if it's necessarily a It's that's a good question I don't even remember if we do it if we say yesterday on Shabbos It's a good question uh, but I think your point is very interesting I spoke about this recently as well um, that the Talmud Bavli the Babylonian Talmud which by the way was written where what was the Babylonian Talmud written
0: where?
1: In Babylon, right?
0: Trick <laughs> question.
1: Trick question. Okay, now where was the Jerusalem where was the Jerusalem Talmud written? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, right? 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 Wrong. <laughs> I think my favorite trick question. The Babylon Talmud was written in Babylon, but the Jerusalem Talmud was written in Tiberias. How do we know it was written in Tiberius? Because we know that the first Yudem city, the first city devoid of Jews, was Jerusalem. Why? Because when the Romans uh, destroyed the temple, they built uh, they made the city into a a a city for Jupiter or for Zeus or for whatever, and there was no Jews living in in Jerusalem. The Jews all lived in the north. It's kind of like the New York Giants playing in New Jersey? Something like that. (laughs) So uh, when the Jerusalem Talmud was written, the year given roughly is the year 320. We don't know exactly what year was written, uh, but it was written uh, with the format of not really giving you dialogue as to dissenting opinions. As opposed to eight, uh, 180 years later, when the Babylonian Talmud was written, it was written in a very different, radically different format, because it gives you dissenting opinions. For example, you could have an opinion proposed, and uh, a page and a half of debate as to the validity and veracity of that opinion, and eventually it will discard the opinion. So wait a minute, where's the editors? If it's an opinion they're not going with, we're invalidating anyhow. Why would you bring it in, bring it up? Because the Babylonian Talmud was written to not only teach you the law and the, and the reasonings behind the law, but also to educate you on how to approach a certain law and to educate you about the opinions, even if they're wrong. And even if they're wrong now, they're, well, maybe they were disproven for a specific reason, but we may, in fact, use them when the reason is not present. Uh, so that's why whenever there's a conflict amongst the Jerusalem and the Babylonian Talmud, we always go with the Babylonian Talmud. That's why we study Talmud. When someone says Talmud, they mean Babylonian Talmud. That's why all their commentators all learned and studied and wrote on the Babylonian Talmud, uh, because for this reason, it always brings dissenting opinions. It always teaches us. It always has the dialogue, um, and it's it's not just a a, uh, a a cold kind of recital of of the roots of laws, but it's kind of showing you how they got there. could they ever use um, where they went people who did wrong went before a right? Or they
0: went yes. before the rabbis now to prove their cases right could say Vitali do something and I'm defending him or maybe it would be another man or something like that are we able to pick evidence according to the Talmud or other rabbis rabbi so-and-so says that if he did that whatever he did to prove him um yeah not guilty can do people pick other rabbis opinions or